We are now streaming to YouTube, recorded directly to my normal YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tattoo There's a playlist on there, and you can also just hit podcast and it's on there. All episodes are also available after editing within 48 hours on Spotify, including video fancy, as well as Apple Podcasts. I do not believe there's a video on Apple, though. Please refrain from using specific places, names, or descriptive terms in your share because I cannot edit it. So whatever you say stays. Please don't swear. I've been doing pretty good on that. I'm usually the biggest problem. So let's try to refrain from swearing so that younger people feel welcome and that we set a good example. Today's topic is demonology part two. Last time we focused kind of primarily on, well, not primarily, but a good amount on paganism, witchcraft, things like that, kind of the history of demonology as it pertains to outside of a Christian concept. And then we went into Christendom too. But this time we're going to focus more within Christianity and some of the surrounding texts, including Enoch. I've got a little bit from Enoch. So each share will be roughly three to five minutes, depending on time. I will rudely interrupt you when you have about 30 seconds left. So please start to wrap it up at that time. Once you've joined the event voice channel, join the event chat channel, because that is the chat that will get streamed onto the screen during the podcast. By requesting to speak, you are giving me permission to stream, record, and repost anything said during the discussion. That includes clips and shorts on any social media. I will be kind, though. I'm not going to post anything mean. The last 10 minutes will be a free-for-all if we have time, meaning any topic, anything that's basically on your mind, that whether it relates to what we're talking about or whether it does not relate to what we're talking about. So first thing here, we're going to jump into this, but... What I want to do is first kind of give a visual representation of how extensive Christian demonology actually is. Some of it is directly from the canon, the accepted Bible within most of Christendom. Some of it not. But it's an extensive list, I would bet, more than most people understand. Keeping in mind that this is very similar to how our canon is small once we have removed literally dozens of other texts that historically the early church accepted. But at some point throughout history, actually during several points throughout history, um, groups of Christians or boards of Christians would remove, remove, argue about whether it's inspired or not. And so we've, we've whittled it down to this small collection of books, right? But think of this in a similar manner. With the whittling down of the books that we accept within the Christian faith of what is canon, what is inspired by God and what is not, we lose information. A lot of that information, as we kind of discussed last time we had this topic, was a lot of that information that was taken out had to do with demonology, also had to do with angels. So a lot of the kind of outside of physical world, directly spiritual stuff just so happened to be or was intentionally removed from what was considered to be the inspired text. So right here, we've got, and if you're not on YouTube, you're not going to be able to see. So you're kind of missing out because I can't read all this because it's just way too much. But what I've done is I've searched the word Christian on this page. This page includes a very extensive list that's not full by any means, but it's, it's a very extensive list of theological demons within mythology, folklore, eschatology, 
as well as general demonology. Interestingly, Christian demonology is actually included in all of these categories, whereas some of the other cultures and religions, demographics are not included in all of these categories. But if you look, everything that is highlighted in yellow relates to Christianity. Again, not all of them are within the canon, though. So if you are somebody who only accepts the canon, then you don't believe in most of these. You don't believe in the validity of them. I am not one of those people. I'm also not saying that I believe in all of this, but I'm not a canon-only person. But this is extensive. Extensive. That was just A. Any demons that start with the name or with the letter A, their name starts with the letter A. Then you have B. Some you recognize, like Baal. Some you probably won't. Some, are, again, are in the canon. They're in the Bible. They're in the Old Testament. Some are not. But it's a long list. And again, much of this we lost when throughout history at different times, Christians whittled down what was inspired and what was not. What we accept as godly, God-breathed, and what we do not. But to let go of all this information, whether you're a canon-only person or not, I think is a massive mistake. So regardless of the fact that I'm not a canon-only person, I take a lot of the outside of canon texts very seriously. Whether I think they're inspired or not doesn't really matter, but I take them very seriously. And I am under the opinion, you've got even Lucifer right here. I'm under the opinion that even Christians who only accept the canon and they think that all of Christian history, everybody did it right in removing what they should have and keeping what they should have, I still think that everybody should read a lot of this outside mythology, a lot of the outside eschatology, because it all includes extra context to making what is in the canon actually make sense. Because again, kind of as we discussed last time, if you just go towards demonology with the canon alone, due to what has been removed, you can't make heads or tails of anything without being completely dishonest and just guessing. Because there's just not enough information within the canonized text. With that, Oh, this is the fun part. Okay. So are we more than a couple of minutes in? Oh, yeah, we are. Beautiful. Because now I'm going to say words that YouTube doesn't necessarily like. So let me pop us back out here real quick. Okay. So this is interesting. And it's a little bit long. But if you're into Enoch or want to be into Enoch, which is an outside of canon text, it has a lot of demonology within it then you're going to want to kind of pay attention. So here, here it is. This is the correlation between demons and sex. So it's about to get real. So this is your warning as well. Anybody who's watching this now or later when it's recorded, if you are a child, please do not watch this. I am warning you. I'm telling you not to. I'm doing my due diligence. Please do not. It's not going to get gruesome or anything, but you know, it's may or may not be appropriate. So the, the earliest accounts of demon sex and Jewish and Christian traditions come from the book of Genesis. And actually, let me start, let me start with this to add some more clarity because it kind of sounds weird just relating them for for no reason. So the reason that many scholars, and I would say that I fit within this category as well, believe that the reference from Paul about sexual sin being on some kind of plane or level above every other sin. We get a little bit of references to that in some of Paul's writings in the New Testament that sexual sin is on some kind of different level. 
Did we get any clarity on it? Not at all. But it's at least insinuated that that is the way that, at the very least, that Paul viewed it. And many of the theologians' view on that is that a part of it is because in some ways, there's a demonic correlation to sexual behavior and attachments. And we'll get into some of that here in a second, but just, just understand that that's where some of it comes from. And that comes from Paul saying that sexual sin seems to be, in his view, and if you take the canon for what it is, then you believe his view is inspired by God. So by God, that there is a correlation between sexual sin, at least in some facet, and demonic attachments and energy. So the earliest account, demon sex and Jewish and Christian traditions, comes from the book of Enoch. I'm sorry, it comes from the book of Genesis, which details the origins of the world and the early history of humanity. This part, most of you should probably know because this is in your Bible. Genesis says that prior to the flood of Noah, fallen angels mated with human women to produce a race of giants that most normal Christians even know is the Nephilim, right? The, the brief mention of angels breeding with human women contains few details at all. Which again is it's you you're not able to make heads or tails of that in any way because it just mentions it as if you have all this context and especially now in 2023 we're like no we don't we have no context what are you talking about it's written as if you do but even at the time it doesn't really make sense so it was left to later writers within the Christian within Christian history to fill the contextual gaps. In the 3rd century BC, the Book of the Watchers, which, if you don't know, is Enoch-related, is an apocalyptic vision written in the name of a mysterious character named Enoch, who is mentioned in Genesis in some of the very old texts that are not accepted. But he expands on the concept of these demonic entities coming to Earth and having sex with human women. In this version, the angels or the watchers not only have sex with women and birth giants, but also teach humans magic. I told you guys, if you get into Enoch, you get this huge dump of spirituality, of spiritual concepts, of heaven and hell, of demons and angels. It's just like washes over you. And without Enoch, it's as if it almost doesn't exist. But along with the humans being taught magic... There is also the art of luxury and the knowledge of astrology. So from Enoch, we've actually attained a lot of things that we know about astrology. The knowledge is commonly associated in the ancient world with the advancement of human civilization, which is a whole nother topic, but at least we'll talk about it a little bit. The Book of the Watchers suggests that fallen angels are the source of human civilization. As scholar Anet Yoshiko Reed has shown the Book of Watchers had a long life within Jewish and early Christian communities until the Middle Ages. Its descriptions of fallen angels were widely influential. So the story is quoted in the canonical epistle of Jude. And again, if you don't know, within the canon, there are references to Enoch, which is one of the main arguments for people who accept Enoch to, to be upset that Enoch was not a part of the canon. You have prominent characters within the canon, within the Bible, all Christians accept, that literally quote Enoch. So whether it's inspired or not, that is absolute proof that Enoch is important. 
whether it's inspired or not, it is important. Jude cites the Book of Watchers in an attack on perceived opponents who he associates with demonic knowledge. Shocking. Christians in the second century AD, such as the influential theologian Tertullian of Carthage, treated the text as scripture, as many, many, many early theologians did. Though it is not only though it is only considered scripture now by some Orthodox Christian communities. Tertullian retells the story of the Watchers and their demonic arts as a way to discourage female Christians from wearing jewelry, makeup, or expensive clothes. That is an opinion. Dressing in anything other than simple clothes for Tertullian means that one is under the influence of demons. So this this starts to poke your head into the correlation between sexual sin or sexual proclivities and demonic energies or attachments. Christians like Tertullian come to see demons behind almost all aspects of ancient culture and religion. Many Christians justified abstaining from the everyday aspects of ancient Roman life from consuming meat to wearing makeup and jewelry by arguing that such practices were demonic. So just like anything else, many of these things start in a pure or true way, and then they get extrapolated into things that may or may not actually matter or may or may not be actually correlated or may or may not matter truly within the actual context of what they're talking about. Christian fascination, fascination with demons having sex with humans developed significantly in the medieval world. Historian Eleanor Genega has recently shown that it was in the medieval period that beliefs about nocturnal demon sex, those echoed by Emmanuel today, became common. For example, the legendary magician Merlin from the tales of King Arthur was said to have been sired by an incubus, which is a male demon. You've got an incubus, which is a male demon, and then you have a succubus, which is a female demon. Interesting things to look up. And just a reminder, things I read are not things I subscribe to. I give you all information from all different sides. Listen, I'm not saying I agree with it or this is where I stand on things. Demonic deliverance. For as long as Christians have worried about demons, they have also thought about how to protect themselves from them. The first biography of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark, written around 70 AD, presents Jesus as a charismatic preacher who both heals people and casts out demons. In one of the first scenes of the Gospel, Jesus casts an unclean spirit out of the man in the synagogue in Capernaum. In one of his letters to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul argued that women could protect themselves from being essayed, hopefully you know what that means, by demons by wearing veils over their heads. Ooh, that's tough. We'll touch on that too when we go back to 2 Corinthians and also when we go to Timothy because we we briefly touched on it in 1 Corinthians, but not within the context of anything having to do with demons. So this is an interpretation similar to if you're reading a commentary about Corinthians from Paul. The interpretation from whoever wrote this article is saying that Paul's reasoning or one of his reasoning of having women wearing veils over their heads was actually to protect them from SA by demonic entities, which is an interesting interpretation. Again, I'm not saying I agree with this. This is just information. Christians also turn to ancient traditions of magic and magical objects, such as amulets, to help ward off spiritual dangers. Evangelicalism and Pentecostalism. This is almost over. In the wake of Enlightenment, European Christians came deeply embroiled in debates about miracles, including those related to the existence and casting out of demons. 
For many, the emergence of modern science called such beliefs into question. In the late 19th century, Christians who sought to retain belief in demons and miracles found refuge in two separate but interconnected developments. A large swath of American evangelicals turned to a new theory called dispensationalism. That would be a good topic, actually, so I'm going to save that to put on the poll. To help them understand how to read the Bible, dispensationalist theologians argued that the Bible was a book coded by God with a blueprint for human history past, present, and future. In this theory, human history was divided into different periods of time, dispensations, in which God acted in particular ways. Miracles were assigned to earlier dispensations and would only return as signs of the end of the world. For dispensationalists, the Bible prophesied that at the end of the world, or that the end of the world, was near. They argued that end would occur through the work of demonic forces operating through human institutions. That is actually canonically biblical. So if you've read Revelation and you've... I mean, even Revelation alone, honestly, if you've read Revelation at all and paid attention, the general concept is that the end of the world, the enemy trying to take full control and then God's reinvolvement in our physical world is going to happen through some kind of human institution. A lot of people, especially now and especially if you're on TikTok, believe that that is through the U.S. government. Again, not saying I believe it, it's just a theory. As a result, dispensationalists are often quite distrustful and prone to conspiratorial thinking, ironic. For example, some believe that the United Nations is a part of the plot to create a one-world government ruled by the coming Antichrist. That is an extremely popular belief, if it's not something you're aware of. Extremely popular. I'd say probably the most popular. Such distrust helps explain why Christians like Emmanuel might believe that reptilian creatures work in the U.S. government or that doctors are working to create a word that I'm not going to say that makes people less religious. Actually, it doesn't matter now. So the other there's two. And this is this is where you you have to be very cognitive when you look through things like this, because, again, it seems plausible, plausible, plausible. And then all of a sudden, boom, things get a little bit crazy. And your first instinct is to say, OK, well, I don't believe any of that. I'm going to shut that entire thing down. And and I am of the opinion that some of that is by design. Some of it is by design to begin an explanation with something that is reasonable, something that makes sense, something that is easy to believe, and then to end it or hit a peak with it with things that are ridiculous or things that are extremely conspiratorial or just wild because then people who aren't able to, to take the good and leave the bad are just going to remove all of it and say, okay, I don't believe in any of this. The minute you start talking about reptilian creatures working for the U S government personally, and it doesn't matter what anybody else believes. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think reptiles or reptile people are running the world. That's not my personal opinion. I don't care if people do believe that. I know people who do believe that that's fine. But that's not the way that I lean. But there are a lot of people, I'd say the majority of people, as soon as they see that, that reptilian creatures work in the U.S. government, they're like, okay, this article is trash. Like, no, a lot of the article is very good. So just ignore that one part if you don't like it. The other theory that goes with that is that there is, and it's way more popular than you think, especially if you're on TikTok, is that doctors are working to create a vaccine that actually makes people less religious. It's a, it's a very popular conspiracy and I had no idea. 
until I hit TikTok. And I was like, wow, again, not saying I believe it because personally, I don't. Meanwhile, the end of the 19th century also saw the emergence of the Pentecostal movement, the fastest growing segment of global Christianity. Pentecostalism featured a renewed interest in the work of the Holy Spirit and its manifestation in new signs and wonders from miraculous healings to ecstatic speech. And we've talked about that. That is this huge movement that took off probably 10, 15, 20 years ago, where you have these big groups of Christians meeting together and somebody in the crowd claims or has not casting judgment, but says that they are taken by a demon. And then you have a pastor or some kind of spiritual leader coming out, doing the hand on the forehead, everybody's shaking, screaming, blah, blah, dude falls to the ground and the demon's gone. It became real big. Some of the biggest YouTubers who are in this Christian space are, are people within that sect who do that live on camera and get tons of views and tons of popularity from it. It's a real, real big thing. It's called deliverance and it's become extremely, extremely popular. Last thing, and then we're opening up because I do not want to talk the whole time this time. This is real interesting. Again, if you're not on YouTube, you're not going to be able to see this, but I have this. There's no pictures to this. So if you just listen, you're good. This is probably the actually here's what it is. This is a faculty publication from Liberty University by James A. Lane from 1981 regarding the question of whether a Christian can have a demon attachment, meaning can Christians be taken over by demons? What I was just talking about with the deliverance movement, the Pentecostal movement, they usually will say no. But it is a huge debate within Christianity, specifically within demonology, about whether a Christian who has the Holy Spirit is able to be taken by a demon or not. I will say I do not subscribe to everything that I'm about to read. But again, I'm not here to tell you my opinions about things personally. I'm here to bring a bunch of information and give you what you need to try to figure it out for yourself. This is relatively short. It's two pages. This is probably the most heavily debated issue in demonology. It has become in some quarters a volatile question, which is definitely true. I've seen people scream at each other talking about whether Christians can be attached by demons or not. The writer says, I believe the reason for the intense feeling surrounding this issue rests not with the idea of demonic affliction, but with the word possession, which makes sense. Can a Christian be afflicted by a demon? I think most Christian would say yes. But can a Christian be possessed by a demon? That is where the debate actually comes in. No Christian could possibly be possessed, the writer says, by a demon. We have proven that possession should not even be discussed when talking about the activity of demons. So the question is, can a Christian be harassed or demonized? Christians get sick. Sickness is from Satan. Some sickness and infirmity is shown to be caused by a spirit of infirmity. Who could prove that any given sickness is not demonically initiated? What difference is there between the influence of sickness and the presence of the demonic? If Satan can do the one, why would he not be able to do the other? No one would ever argue that Christians can't get sick. Paul warned Christians to ward off attacks from evil spirits in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 and in 1 Timothy 4, 1. If there is no possibility of a Christian being demonized, why would he warn us of the battle? That much I do agree with. There are a lot of warnings 
of demonic involvement within the Bible. And again, if you go outside of the canon, it's not even a conversation. The, the demonic influence and attachment to people, whether Christian or not, is undeniable. As soon as you leave what's canonized and go to even the very closely correlated texts, such as Enoch, that was referenced in the canon. The gift of discerning of spirit, and if you remember, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, was for the common good. This whole section appears to be for the upbuilding of the body. There seems to have been a need for discernment or spirits within the body, or it would not have been listed there, which is obviously true, right? A lot of, not a lot, but a good amount of 1 Corinthians did touch on what, what is good for the body and spiritual gifts. And one of those spiritual gifts is discerning and discernment of the spirits. It is said that possible for Christians to be led astray from the truth by receiving a different spirit from the one you received. That is a quote from 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4. The, in, the implication there is that Christians can be led in a different direction, in the wrong direction. Does that mean they're possessed? Who knows? But they can at least be allured, right? Maybe allured is the right word. Away from the truth and towards something that is not true, towards something that is dark. We can also choose to turn back to the elemental spirits who slave you want to be once more. That comes out of Galatians 4. One of the rationales used by most exorcists to explain the lack of success in deliverance or extended lengthy battles in deliverance is 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. They claim that in order to be successful, you must define and destroy the stronghold. Another word for that is the attachment. What is the attachment? I, this is a quote, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold to you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of acting in worldly fashion. For those we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. What kind of war is it? It's a spiritual war. For the weapon of our warfare are not worldly, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds, attachments. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. From the context, it would appear that the strongholds refer not to demonic powers so much as to human opposition to the good news of Jesus. Paul uses his spiritual power and success at preaching the gospel to heathens as evidence in his defense against those who accuse him of not being God. You got like five more sentences. Hang tight. The word, the word stronghold is used only this one time in the New Testament, which is true. In the New Testament, it is used primarily to refer to God. Secondarily, the word refers to strongholds of men of, of men or nations, which is also true. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, you've got Proverbs, you've got 1 Samuel, Judges, Jeremiah, and Numbers, where the word is referring to strongholds of men and or a nation. There is no spiritual usage which supports the idea of demonic strongholds in an individual. If you go outside of the canon, that is no longer accurate. The only thing that allows demons not to go 
is lack of faith. No demon can withstand where faith is exercised in the authority of the name of Jesus. There is no other major way of looking at the passage which demands our attention. The idea that demonic forces that do... Oh, sorry here. That do battle for heathens also do battle for our thought life to set up strongholds in our minds. In an excellent ministry piece from this approach... There's a capitalization of thought which said this. This speaks of thoughts. These thoughts are strongholds. They produce imaginations. Then come fear and torment, sickness and defeat. The battlefield is the thought life. He says, many of you now read these words are held captive by a thought. That thought brings fear. I'm going to read that again because the point that they're trying to get across is that you can put something in somebody's head or somebody can put something in their own head and these things can become strongholds. And there is also an extra spiritual idea that the demonic energies, the demons can put these thoughts in Christians and then Christians can stray due to that fact. So it says, it says this, this speaks of thoughts. These thoughts are strongholds. They produce imaginations, then come fear and torment, sickness and defeat, the battlefield is the thought life. Many of you who now read these words are held captive by a thought because it was inflicted upon you. It was attached to you. All right, I'm going to shut up now and see where we get. We've got a light night tonight, light night. But I have more. So if... Everybody's going to be shy or if due to the fact that it's light tonight, I can just ramble or we can save it. Teal. Oh, man, lidocaine. That stuff's not fun. Ramble on. I definitely can. All right, beautiful. Katie's ready to go. Hello, Joe. There Hi, you good go. evening. Hi. Um, okay, so demonology. Um, first thing that pops into my head is like an eye roll of, oh, great. You know, the, the I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And, you know, demon, oh, if you use essential oils or play Pokemon, you're going to be possessed. <laughs> like, that's initially what pops into a lot of people's minds, right? Um. And I, I, I do have to kind of roll my eyes at that and kind of question whether or not these things are legit, question whether or not, like, such things exist. But, like, what, two Octobers ago? I actually watched the entirety of the first Exorcist movie and got into a whole rabbit hole of actual accounts of real demon possession. And it's scary. Um... You know, um, one of these priests who was an exorcist told tales of a woman who was possessed by a demon, and he had to, I think the scariest part of it for me was hearing about, like, he had to work on this case time and time and time again for months. It's not just a simple, I cast you out, um, but he knew how this demon affected her so much, like, he knew knew that um he made her vomit or froth at the mouth and uh so every session he would bring in 
like, you know, a trash bag and paper towels to wipe her mouth. And, um, he brought in a, I don't know, like a, a rookie, a, um, someone who's being taught in the thing. And this guy was absolutely shook by what he saw. Yeah. Like the woman would actually like levitate off the chair and this like seasoned priest knowing that, you know, he would just put her, put his hands on her shoulder and just bring her back down to the earth. Like it was nothing. Um, so that that was kind of scary to think about. I was like, "Whoa, if this stuff is out there, you know, how do you know if you are at risk?" And then like then you get into the whole like essential oils are cursed and then you get into the whole Pokémon th- like it's going to, you know, open, you know, there it's going to open a door. Yeah. Um but watching The Exorcist, the question that I had is uh Reagan, the main character did not explicitly invite this demon into her no she was just playing with the ouija board and she said oh it's it's what was it dr howdy or mr howdy right yeah he did not explicitly say hey a demon known as pazuzu you can come into me and you know you know have your will be done or whatever um i think on a side note the exorcist is more of a sad movie than a scary movie for me like the mom crying about like please help my daughter and then that priest his mother dies and you know reagan never gets to see the two men who saved her and those two men never got to meet the real reagan i think that's kind of sad um but i did have a phase in my life where i was really interested in this stuff like real life accounts of like real possessions with like levitations and like unexplained stuff yeah um so I, I I guess that's that's a start of what I wanted to to bring up. So then let me ask you one more question, and then I'll let you go. What uh, because you mentioned that she didn't invite it. So I guess what are your personal views on? I don't know, man. No? I don't know. That's what scares me. Is that's like, scary. could you be doing? Could you be do? I mean, now nowadays Ouija boards are like. Uh, like you know, there's a lot of horror <clears throat> horror movies about them. Yeah. But apparently, it wasn't seen as something demonic back in the day. Um. But the question has to be asked: Should you be afraid of certain things that you're doing that may or may not be opening some kind of door? Um. And I think, I think it can really scare people off. Like, go to the deep end of like demonology and like, is it a demon? Is it a demon? Is there a? Is there a? demon for same-sex relationships like oh you're gay because you have a demon or you know you have a mental illness because you have a demon and you need to go get that you know then it goes into like the paranoia and i guess you just have to make a decision of where do you draw the line of what you choose to give energy to and what do you choose to believe and be afraid of i mean yeah yeah for sure but I, I mean, it, it is it is hard to try to differentiate. Would it, it do you need to do something? Is there something you can say? I always think of the uh, the Bloody Mary thing when when mm-hmm. I was when yeah. I was a kid. The whole like, what was it? You go to the bathroom and say it five. You times light a, a candle. You turn off the light and say it three times. There's yeah. a, anybody here watch Supernatural? Supernatural with Dean and Sam. No, but I anybody? know what you're talking about. Yeah, if you watch, and, like, I, uh, my faith was kind of low-key enhanced by, um, and helped me to to picture a lot of things, um. Really? I, you can, 
you can like the, the first the first time I ever watched supernatural i like got the urge to like draw a salt circle around my bed because <laughs> and like like yeah i was like oh my gosh what if um but i mean there have been stories of some really scary stuff out there and <clears throat> i guess if it only becomes scary or like real when you hear about it rather than having a first-hand experience you know like you weren't scared of it before yeah i mean you know what i mean but like also and while i was in this rabbit hole about like exorcism and possessions um i did kind of like notice a, a difference in like the standards of like like i don't need to be personally i don't need a, a first-hand possession with ghosts or demons to believe in them yeah but i almost i almost require first-hand real experience with the good side of the spiritual world to believe in it and i just noticed that about myself is like oh no you know you don't you know hey demons you don't you don't have to manifest to me in order for me to believe in you i got it you're good but then when it comes to god and jesus and the good side it's kind of like i just kind of noticed that about myself as i require proof for that side but not the other side that's really interesting that's a really interesting point because i think that's probably true for a lot of people Mm -hmm. And I wonder why that is. I don't know either. I just know. I just observed that it was there. Maybe because one's scary and one's not Maybe. so scary. But honestly, God, like if if you look at the Christian story and you don't believe in Christ, that's kind of scary. The ramifications are kind of scary, but not as spooky scary as like mm -hmm. the whole demonic side. That's an interesting point. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay. And the and the whole question about can Christians be possessed? Yeah. Um, I brought I brought up like the exorcist and stuff to the to my dad, and he's like, I wouldn't be scared of a demon because I believe in God, and God will protect me. Yeah, but then the quite like, mm, can Christians be possessed? Mm, I don't know, man. But even if not possessed, can they be afflicted? And what's the difference? Can we get into that tonight? Yeah, like, yeah. Because when you think of demonology, you just think of possession. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. So the the difference would be like, I guess to give a personal example, the difference would be like somebody who's possessed by a demon from from all accounts. If you aggregate all of the accounts, it like it either takes over them physically, emotionally, or both. So psychological, physical, or both psychological and physical. Like you, you'll see people who literally will like babble or speak evil stuff, like in, in tongues, a, and yeah, like in, in a, a different in voice. a low voice. Exactly. So that's like that's possession. That's when a demon is like taken control, either physically, psychologically, or both of a person. Affliction is like I don't know if you were here when I told the story, but I I had an event of like a month ago, and I I'm I'm the biggest like non-believer in things that I can't see ever. I had a, I didn't come to Christianity through faith. I came to Christianity through like years of ripping books apart, but I had an experience finally where I feel like I was afflicted by something demonic. Like I felt like I was spoken to. I felt like I was given feelings from like, I felt like something connected to me, but it didn't take possession of me. Does that make sense? So like you can have a, a horrible nightmare where a demon tells you like something awful that scares you. There's like there's things like that that happen to people, but they don't take control of the person. But how can you tell if it's like your mind making that up or exactly. not? Exactly. 
Um, exactly. I have a story. Well, not my story, but my friend Risa in Texas um, told a story about uh, a neighbor, who, a neighbor who seriously hurt her, um, essayed her. Okay. Um, and like there was something very, very wrong with this kid. Um, she told me about the story where this boy brought a knife into the house. Um, how did it go? Um, she was like, her friend was in the kitchen with her, trying to calm him down. I think. And he, like, actually, like, got close to, like, actually hurting her with the knife. And Risa was under a table hiding. Jeez. And uh, she prayed. She kept looking at the door and saying, like, God, if you're not going to stop him from killing her or killing me, then send someone through that door. And I think I think the story ended with someone did coming through that door. But Risa says that she physically saw something leave this boy. She saw, she saw angels in the kitchen. She can't describe them, but she felt like they were angels. And she saw something leave this boy, and, like, he stopped trying to hurt her with the knife. So that story that she's told me is kind of a, kind of a, like, huh, maybe there is something out there. But I personally don't ever want to have a personal encounter with it in order <laughs> to believe it. You know, but yeah. like what Risa has told me about that story, she said she saw angels and she saw something leave the boy who was going to kill someone with a knife. And I, I have to say that I lean towards the answer. Like, I believe that there is some unseen stuff out there. I will say that. I mean, that, there has to be. To, to what degree or to what level is kind of the question. Yeah, right? is, is it like people can be possessed like by using essential oils or, or what? Yeah, um, so is like, there an instrument for it yeah, to happen is or there, not? Or, uh, yeah, that, these are the questions. And yeah. if it's, you know, if you're scared for your own safety of am I at risk of opening a door or am I opening a door without knowing it, you know, that can get you into some serious paranoia and scary stuff. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The knife story is interesting. So does it help you at all that somebody you trust kind of told you the story? Did that give some validity to you or did it not make much of a difference? I think I think so, too. And I've just yeah. heard too many like ghost stories of people doing ghost hunting and hearing scary stuff. I don't know. Is there a difference between ghosts versus demons versus wraiths? I, I yeah. don't I don't know, man. I don't know. But um, I don't know if I be I don't uh, I do believe that there is some unseen stuff in a either a, like a parallel like a, a parallel universe that is if is it like the upside down or is it like i do believe that there's some stuff that we can't see that has an effect on the world that we're in right now it's hard to describe but i do think that there's unseen stuff yeah yeah i mean agreed agreed i have a hard mm -hmm. i have a super hard time with it Cause I, I do, and I've also, again, you're kind of new to us talking about this, but we've talked about in the past, um, just how, how fantastical the evangelical movement has kind of become specifically yeah. like with social media, because it's become like a, a, it's become something that makes people famous. So mm -hmm. some people certainly fake it. Some people choreograph these events where someone pretends like yes. they're possessed by a demon. Like I sh I'm such a cynic. I have such a hard time uh, watching stuff like that. 
So it's it, and it's one of those things that like muddies the water because I do believe yeah, there's absolute yeah, truth. Yeah, you know, and and there have been faith healers who have been exposed. Yes. Um, and like you could go down that rabbit hole on YouTube too. Like, um, who's the guy? Ah, uh, what's what's that channel's name? Ah, uh, something with the Jello in it. I swear. Um, Jello. Find uh, find it. Find it and we'll then find uh, it. throw it in and the he, chat. He, yeah, he talks about like faith healer scams, like specifically oh. the one where he makes your both both of the feet. Um, like, oh, this one is this leg is longer than the other, and in the name of Jesus, you know. That's um, so sad. I think no Kool Aid. It was like, cursed Kool Aid or something. I swear, holy Kool Aid, holy Kool Aid, holy, and it's called faith faith healing cringe fails interesting yeah. okay i gotta look that up yeah it makes me mad to hear about these faith healers and and like kenneth copeland and the likes of them and the i was i work at a hospital and i was taking someone's food order and on their television was a magic healing springs water guy and i looked into it he's a that's all all of that like john oliver had a a clip about one of the episodes about faith healing and televangelists and stuff. Yeah. But just how bad it is. And they're just, it, it's just that kind of stuff really makes me angry. They're really giving Jesus a bad name. I mean, yeah, it's infuriating. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine like what God would look at that as. Mm -hmm. That's awful. <laughs> awful. Indeed. Oh, all right. You have anything else? Um, no, just basically I wanted to talk about, like, The Exorcist and the knife story, and, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to bring those to the table, and whatever information that you have about the difference between being afflicted versus possessed, all that stuff, I'm, I'm totally here for it. Beautiful. All right, well, let's, uh, let's see. I know, S Sarah, were you wanting to come on? I'll take Katie, I'll pull you off, but just let me know if you want to pop back in here. And then uh, I'm going to throw out some other potential topics if you guys force me to just talk. We've got, um, why, why does God, beautiful, good. Sarah, let's go. You are unmuted on my end. Hey, y'all. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> so... I want to start out by saying there is definitely a spiritual realm. I grew up in a church and like grew up in Christianity. Um, my parents taught my brother and I that, you know, it is, it's very real. Um, they, they believe that animals and children are pretty like, I don't know the right word. Um, tuned in. Yeah, very, very much yeah. tuned in to the yeah. point where, you know, my parents it would have a babysitter come over 30 minutes early before they were to leave for their date. And um, if my brother and I didn't like it or there there was something else going on, they would, you know, tell the tell the babysitter, oh, I'm sorry, you know my husband or my, my wife is, isn't feeling very well. We're going to go ahead and cancel. I'll go ahead and take you home, pay you for the night and, and take you home. So you're not, um, wow. missing out on, on the job kind of thing. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of a little bit, 
my background um, growing up, but I wanted to share a story, more recent story in my life is um, a coworker of mine, uh, her daughter, they actually videotaped this and the daughter is probably about four years old talking to something in the attic and they oh. thought it was absolutely hilarious and so they videotaped it oh my God. and then shared it with us and i was like are, are you freaking kidding me like oh. here i my my christian self and like i'm like uh, are you okay that's it i'm like at work in my head <laughs> praying for this family because i don't know i i wasn't one to really talk about my faith I, i'm still Eh, I'd rather build that relationship with you first, kind of get to know you, and then we can talk about faith. Um, I'm not going to, like, Bible beat you. And I think so, um, like, she, and literally her daughter is looking up at the attic access going, but I don't want you hurting anybody. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, I, I don't know what ended up happening after that. Um, unfortunately I don't work at that company anymore or talk to them, <sighs> but that, that goes to show that, that, I mean, kids are very tuned into, to that, uh, spiritual realm. Um, wow. you know, I, I used to babysit for the senior pastor of the church that I grew up in that unfortunately did not end very well and we can get into that another time <laughs> um <laughs> but um there was a season at this church where it was very like that was very prevalent in small groups in being talked about and taught and how to combat and spiritual warfare and um and so there, there, I remember babysitting the pastor's kids because we had Saturday night prayer. Uh, it started out as a men's group prayer and then expanded to everybody else. Well, I would babysit the kids. Um, and when this pastor started kind of going a little sideways, I started feeling things in the house that did not feel right for, um, so it, it, it was, I brought it up to the pastor's wife. I was like, look, I, I don't know if my brain is just being all <laughs> funky and whatnot, but I think you guys need to seriously consider about praying and um, watching what you bring into this house because it, there, like I said, I don't know if my brain is being weird and just making, trying to freak me out or whatnot, or if something is actually here. Yeah. A few years later, the church went its own weird sideways <laughs> and pastor claimed to have been healed of his eyesight when, in fact, later down the road, we found out he went uh crossed the border and got LASIK. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, like I said, additional story is another time, but, <laughs> um, 
God. Yeah. So it, 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 I fully believe it is, it is real. You can't have one without the other. We can't yeah. have, like two sides of the same coin. Um, but then a more real experience, um, at this, at this church during that season, we had had, um, guest speakers come and visit from third world countries or other countries around the world. Um, I can't remember where this guy was from, but he claimed to be a prophet as well as, um, an exorcist, I guess you could term it. It's not what he used. It wasn't the verbiage that he used, but um, the senior pastor was sitting in the front row and this guest speaker was um, finishing up and the senior pastor kind of pulled him aside before the end and was like, hey, are you going to do any today? Um, any exorcisms or any uh, anything like that and the guy's like oh probably not well so we ended prayer and it was really eye-opening and interesting to to hear the stories and i i wish i remember exactly what was talked about but what i do remember is he walked by my friend at the time um older lady uh who had come from a, a very different background than than myself and he kind of he walks past slightly and then kind of walks back to her. She's facing the front and then he turns around and faces her. So he's looking at her back and all of a sudden he's, he does this movement. Like he's pulling something out of her back. My gosh. And come to find out it was a javelin. <laughs> that was <laughs> a spiritual javelin in, in her back. <sighs> and then she was not herself anymore. Wow. Sitting right next to me, right. I freak the heck out. Like wow. it is some scary crap when you look at that. Um, I, I laugh now, just as it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he looks at me because it's it's being it, it's talking, and the gentleman is like what's your name and says the name and i believe words are powerful so i'm not even going to say the name <laughs> so, um oh but gosh. then he, he looks at me and he's like what is her name and i say my friend's name and then i end up like leaving the area like going into the back and getting with one of my um youth pastors i was like uh this is this is and this oh, i was oh, in my man. 20s like early 20s um at this so definite adult but yeah it's it's very real um we are given as, as believers we are given the tools that we need in order to fight um it, it's definitely a battle um may not be a physical battle but we are constantly fighting something um, whether it be um, thoughts that are just not of god you know yeah telling us that oh no god doesn't love you oh no wait uh, that 
I go towards the screw tape letters written by C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. Like there, we may not as Christians, you know, as you were talking about, Joe, the can a, can a Christian become possessed? I, I hem and haw on that. It is definitely a debatable topic. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there are times where we are tempted and are we going to recognize that temptation or not? Um, sometimes it's really evident. Sometimes it's not. So, so do you, let me ask you this. Do you think, do you think that absolutely everything that has anything to do with good and good, you know, we'll call it moral is of God and everything that is negative, bad, hurtful, doesn't build up anything, whether it's a thought, an action, behavior, um, something dying when it wasn't supposed to yet, anything bad or immoral is of, you know, call it Satan for ease of comprehension. Is it all inclusive or are there things that are more mundane, good things that happen to be moral that aren't necessarily of God, they're just good or they align with what God's moral standard is? Or do you think that all of anything that is good, anything that is done out of good energy is connected to God as the great good energy. What are your thoughts? Gut, gut reaction. Yes. That's where everything I good com yeah. comes from God. Everything not good comes from elsewhere. However, I will say that um, what we think is good and right may not actually be good and right. Yes. What may be bad um may not be bad yeah agree um, that's that's the tough part like what's the uh where's the roadmap for right. us to check that too right and that's like that's where you get into well scripture well mm -hmm. how much of it which parts of it <laughs> what if we lost something right yeah what if we lost something that's the scary um, part one verse might say one thing and another verse says another, and then we have to go back to what's the context. Yes. Yes. And then you kind of end up in a position too. depend. I mean, depending on where you land with the whole, how we got the canon and everything like that. But I think either mm -hmm. way you end up in a place where to a point or to a degree, you, you need to really focus on like your connection to God, because when mm -hmm. you lack full clarity from the Bible, you may be able to get at least the remainder of the clarity because you're spiritually yeah. tied. Whereas people who just look to the text alone, that's hard because mm -hmm. it's not that clear mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, so I, I'm definitely with, with like other people saying that, uh, don't, don't come I don't need to see it to believe it, <laughs> but I also don't want to be the one who ex like experiences it. And then the demons are, uh, they, uh, who are you? I know Jesus. <laughs> I, I know this person, but who are you? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want that to ever happen. Like if I ever have to come face to face, um, then I, I want them to know <laughs> like, this is Sarah. We don't mess with her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you think, do you think everybody Well, I guess you kind of already answered it. If you believe all of it is good, that is of 
something demonic and all that is good. So you you do believe, I guess, confirm. You do believe that basically everybody suffers some kind or some degree of affliction, no matter what. I, I would say, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, whether it be a, an affliction that you experienced or a common cold. I go back to, okay, what's the context? Did you get the common cold because you didn't take care of yourself or did it just happen upon you out of the blue? Yeah. Yeah. So. Agreed. And even then, did you not take care of yourself because you were afflicted by something? So either right. way. I, I think, you know, we're, we're not here to judge and like, I, I don't think we need to like drill down. Let's find the, you know, media the the fine line penny uh auditor here so you know trying to go down to the the sense of it all um, yeah but i think Agreed. we do need to be aware and learn on how we can effectively battle and be warriors for christ yeah 100 percent agree man those stories were uh not what I was expecting. You said they were small, yeah. or, or they—they're so, not. They're—they're they're short. I, I could definitely though. go into more detail, um, but with being on YouTube, you know, I—I'm—I'm yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna like totally go into things. So if anybody wants to learn anything else about my experiences, uh, by all means, you know, I'm on Discord. <laughs> you know, send me a message. <laughs> Join in regular voice chat, no problem sharing. Yeah, I definitely want to hear that at some point. So we got to set that up. Um, oh, uh, all right. That was a real icky feeling, especially the attic thing. That's horrifying. It, yeah, I, I will agree. I, apologies for any, you know, <laughs> minors that <laughs> totally got freaked out or even adults that are listening. That was like, what the heck? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez, man, that's crazy. So, okay, all right. Well, is is that it for you? That that's pretty much it. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Anybody else who wants in? But real quick on uh, on TikTok, someone because I I never pay attention to TikTok. So somebody asked, "What's your view on demonic dreams, such as having dreams in a swamp forest or black bulls chasing?" I assume it, they mean chasing like you. I don't. I guess two answers. One is I have thoughts on demonic dreams because I've definitely had them. I've experienced like dream paralysis or sleep paralysis. Um, and then I, I've, I feel like I've had, I've had kind of like demonic dreams more so in the past couple of years than ever in my life. Um, however, I don't know how I feel personally about the interpretation of dreams. Cause I, I assume that's what the second half of that is about such as having dreams of a black swamp or black bulls chasing you. Those are kind of specific. So I assume it's like dream interpretation. I don't, I don't personally have an opinion on that. Um, my spouse cat is, seems to be real good at that though. So it's something that she actually kind of does with people, uh, not in a, this is exactly what your dream means way, but like in a, you know, these are things that I feel like that dream might be, getting across or trying to afflict you with or something like that. I am totally ignorant to it. And so I don't touch it 
because I don't, especially with things that are spiritual and especially things with, with things that are unclear, like demonology, I will not, I refuse to touch or give a strong opinion on something that I don't fully feel confident in doing. And interpretation of dreams is definitely not one of them. Those of you on TikTok, you guys should really go to YouTube. We have people hopping on and talking that you cannot hear because they're in my ear. Uh, Shannon, I have demonic dreams almost daily. Is it always a dream dream? Or do you get do you ever get thoughts consciously? Like when you're consciously awake, just going throughout life. And kind of with that, I guess kind of like consider what Sarah and I were just talking about. If you're of the opinion, like her and I seem to be, that <laughs> Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Co. If you're of the opinion that anything at all that happens within our physical realm that is good or moral, upstanding, is of God. And yeah, Shan if you're down, Shannon, I'd love to. Um, or you can type if you're, you know, I know you got stuff going on. Um, and then if everything bad, no matter what, within our physical realm is directly tied to, you know, call it Satan or call it demons or call it negative energy, whatever it is. How, w what that means or what like the, the implication is, is that every second of every day for your entire life, you are in the middle of spiritual warfare, whether you like it or not, and seemingly whether you're Christian or not, and then seemingly more so that if you're not Christian, you don't have that hedge of protection, to use a Christian term that people understand, if you don't have the Spirit of God, if you're not connected to what is good on a consistent basis, then you are more vulnerable to what is bad. And then do demons target those people? Do demons target weak Christians, lukewarm Christians? Do demons target people who are unbelievers because they don't have God with them, in them, right? Shannon, I'll uh, unmute you now. So you just got to unmute yourself. And real quick, real quick, because I don't want anybody freaking out. This is not beer. This is kombucha, okay? I don't, I don't drink, and I don't want anybody later saying, Joe says he doesn't drink, and now he's drinking beer on a live stream. It's kombucha. So relax, Shannon, whenever you're ready. That's a little funny. Okay. Um, what was the first part of your question that you wanted to ask me? So what did you say? Oh, uh, do you ever have that when you're conscious where you feel um, like you have demonic thoughts rather than dreams? I would say more demonic dreams than demonic thoughts, but sometimes like um i'm getting a little graphic here and i apologize like sometimes i'm like in the shower and i don't know if it's because like i'm paranoid or something but i'm like always afraid that like something's gonna like jump out at me <laughs> what like yeah from, but is that like a horror movie fear or is it do you feel like it's a spiritual thing i don't know because like i've always had that even when i was a child okay um but a lot of it and i even had I would tell my parents about this all the time that I would have demonic dreams even as a child. And it followed me from being a little one to me as an adult now, but it's been more prominent than ever before. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up just completely drenched in sweat. And I would try to wake my husband up and tell him, Hey, you know, was I moving or anything? Because I just had a horrific nightmare and you didn't wake me up. 
<laughs> and he's just like, I'm sorry, like, you don't move. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll just suffer in silence. That's cool. What are, what are the, if you don't mind me asking, like, what, what happens in the dream? Is it, is it a repetitive dream? Are they always totally different? It's always totally different. Okay. Are they So, like, violent? the dream that I talked to you about, about, like, how there were a bunch of um, people from, like, an occult, like, an actual, you know, Luciferians, you know, invading a church that me and my mom were going into. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. you know, there was that one. Or there was me literally being, I remember one where I'm literally being chased by the devil himself. Did he look like, like the stereotypical devil? Or did yeah. it look different? Yeah. Okay. No. So it's always like something. It a lot of it is me being chased. I don't know why, but I'm always being chased by something. There's always some kind of negative force that's either chasing me, trying to hurt me. Um. Yeah. Interesting. It's always something different, and it's always something new, and it scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and so you wake up you said you wake up like in a sweat yeah just terrified yeah oh yeah oh yeah 100 percent. so odd man the so the besides the thing that i've told you guys about from like a month ago or whatever the only the only other time anything like that has ever happened to me that i remember was it was like three it was right after my mom died so it was like roughly three years ago and Kat and I were in bed, we we're sleeping, and I remember like, I remember becoming conscious, but being completely unable to move. So like sleep, like I learned later, it was called sleep paralysis. And I felt like I was being just like, not, I don't know, it felt like there was some kind of being there, like an entity, there was no face or anything, but it just like, I could feel it. I could, I could see it, but in feelings. So it didn't have like a physical form, but it was like right over me while I was in laying in bed, I was laying on my back and I felt like my eyes were open. Uh, so I could like, I could see, and I could see cat laying next to me asleep. And I just remember like screaming cat, wake me up, wake me up, wake me up, wake me up. But my mouth couldn't move. So like, I was just screaming in my head over and over again. And I couldn't move my arms and I couldn't move my legs. Like I couldn't do anything. I was just like stuck. And at the time, especially three years ago, I was super cynical about crap like that. So I told Kat, and then she kind of gave me the rundown on what she thought it was. And I, uh, being completely honest, uh, I was like, she's so full of crap. That's so ridiculous. It's so dumb. I was just dreaming, and it just seemed like I was awake. But the the more I've like gotten in touch with or in tune with it and I've become more open-minded... I like I realized how real that actually was and like how absolutely horrifying that was. It was it was freaking terrifying. But that's the only other time that I remember that one time and then the one thing like a month ago. That's it. I don't like it's not normal things for me. And I and I'm a total hypocrite because like nine times out of ten when I hear a story from somebody else up until recently, uh, I just all I think is BS, BS, BS. And I hate myself for it because it, one, it, like it's not fair because I don't know what other people have been through, but I just have such a hard time wrapping my mind around these like wild demonic stories. I just gotta struggle with it, but it's gotten so much better recently. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things to where, you know, you, it's hard to, it's a hard concept to grasp when you're not involved. It's not directly involving you. Yeah, for sure. Cause I feel like I struggle with that too. 
For sure. And I mean, we're conditioned that way. Think about how, mm-hmm. how much TV and movies and books and they've all made anything that's even remotely like that seem like just a fairy tale. Like these are scary stories. They're not real. But right. like, where did the scary stories come from? Where did they originate? Like way back when somebody just randomly made these things up? Probably not. They probably came from like real things. You have all of these demonic accounts, demonic experiences um, nocturnal demons, all these things come from like very early literature, like super early literature. Yeah. Lilith. I actually, I Lilith is one of the next videos that I'm posting like normal video on YouTube is about Lilith because the Bible tells you absolutely nothing about Lilith and Lilith's story is wild, wild. It's super, super interesting. And the Bible just, it doesn't tell us anything about it, but all of, all of this old Jewish and pagan literature surrounding demons is wild crazy and like where did that come from if you trace it all the way back in history even before the written stuff it was all word of mouth right who came up with that first and why was it just out of nowhere probably not it was probably based on real things that people had experienced and then as like as civilization progressed, specifically when we get to a point of entertainment with plays, uh, like in the medieval time and past, like it just became more ridiculous and more ridiculous because it became a form of, of, of horror entertainment. When in the beginning, I, it probably was not. It was probably very much real, very much real experiences. But now because we've been so conditioned as societies, to view these things as entertainment, whether it's horror or positive, it's so hard for people to buy into it unless they experience it personally. And I am, I am of the belief that that was intentional because I believe that, you know, governing bodies, if you want to call them that have done that in a million different ways for a million different reasons and within and out of spirituality. Like we're conditioned to see certain things in a certain light. And I believe it's because if we saw it in the true light, we would know or be in tune with things that, you know, they, the big they don't want us to be for whatever reason. And I I don't even know if I know what the reasons are, but for whatever reason, I believe, I believe that's true. And I'm not a huge conspiracy guy. I just, it's, you know, what do they say now? Like the difference between a conspiracy and something that's untrue is about nine months because a lot of yep. them seem to come true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So for me, um, because I was conditioned by my parents and I've, you know, you and I have talked about this all the time, um, is that if it's not in the Bible, it's not real is kind of what my parents conditioned me. So when I first heard about Lilith was crazy enough by my Jewish husband. So when him and I were talking about it, I thought that he was full of himself. And I'm like, no, Lilith doesn't exist. Like, it's, uh-huh. you know, like Greek mythology. And I'm, and I told him, and I was looking at him dead in the face like he was stupid. And I'm like, that's not, in, like, where did you come up with this? Like, who came up with this? And, you know, I still, I still kind of struggle with that concept of hers, but yeah that's pretty much where i'm at sorry so listen to this isaiah 34 14 
Desert okay. creatures will meet with hyenas, and wild goats will bleat to each other. There, the night creatures will also lie down and find for themselves places to rest. That is that is your that is almost any translation of the Bible that you will find, other than very very few. But the argument is that the original text said this: Wildcats shall meet with hyenas, goat demons shall call to each other, there too Lilith shall be, and find a place to rest. So the difference is two things: one, Lilith was removed, and two, the word demon was removed. These these are my issues with mm-hmm. with these modern Bibles, is that things like that. The two, one, the specificity, and two, the mention of demons in specific were both just blatantly taken out. That's so troubling. That's why, like, it's good you have a Jewish husband because he, most of most of the old Jewish literature doesn't do that. It was a Christian thing. Right. Christians did that. And it seems like spirituality was the thing that they really felt like they needed to remove for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, one of the good, I'm kind of getting a little off topic, but one of the best things I love about being married to my husband is that um, he gives me the whole perspective because he grew up in a Christian church, but then later converted to full Judaism uh, because he never, uh, for context, he never really grasped the concept of Jesus. He always just, he knew God the Father and he was happy with that. Um he just, he was like, I don't believe that the Messiah actually came, yada, 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 fine. But, um, again, like, when it comes to, like, you know, some of this old stuff that the Torah talks about that not necessarily is taught in the Bible, because, you know, it's lost in translation, like you would just point it out. Uh, so it gives us a whole broad concept of, you know, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's why I struggle with, you know, the whole equally yoked in quotes, because I believe that me and my husband are perfectly equally yoked. You know, he was the original Christian, you know, without Jews, there won't be Christians. Yeah, um, that's that's the big that's one of these big logical disconnects. Uh-huh. It, one of one of so many, so many. Uh, but, but yeah, I. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. Because in, in all reality, the traditional Jews hung on to so much more of the original tradition, the original beliefs, the original text. And I mean, the other just hard reality is that most of the, I, let me be careful, about 40% of the New Testament would make almost no sense whatsoever had we not had the great Jewish scholar who was Josephus, like Mm -hmm. every single commentary you've ever read in your life on the new Testament was all of our context about places, people, names, times, what was happening. It all came from Jewish scholars and in one primarily was Josephus. So it's like, it's, I hate the big disconnect that, that people do like they do to you where they, they put Jews and Christians like in these crazy other ends of the spectrum. Like, yeah, there's a big difference. Jesus, which is a significant I, difference, but there's so much value also to that. So it's just, I, I find it kind of silly. I mean, you know how I feel about 
Yeah, absolutely. And crazy enough is that um, before my husband and I got married, um, one of the pastors actually told us that because he is a Protestant, um, he was not willing to marry us because he believed that him and I were not equally yoked. Wow. Yep. So we had to find another um another chap chaplain. Yeah, another yeah. chaplain that was willing to marry us. Crazy enough, uh it was the chaplain that I saw when I first got to Virginia and he's like, "Yeah, you were supposed to come see me like months ago. What happened?" And I'm like, "Oops." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I'm getting married now." So, uh he's like, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll marry you guys. I don't care." That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would personally have no problem uh officiating that wedding. That's so crazy to me. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you and Kat want to come to the wedding, like I'll send you an invite. You should. Send this one anyways. Okay. At least so we I'll, have it. But yeah, if we could come Okay, official invites will come out uh next March, May. Oh yeah, oh, we God. got time. Yeah, we got plenty of time. The actual wedding is happening in June of twenty twenty five, so Okay. Oh, yeah. You got plenty of time, man. Yeah, we're just making payments on it now. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, that that gives us more time. Well, then maybe realistically yeah. we can come. That'd be great. Well, then there you go. All yeah, right. That'd be sweet. Just send me your address when you, whenever, like in next year. Send me your address. Yeah. yeah. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Shannon, you got anything else? No, that's it. Beautiful. Go ahead and mute me. Muted by all. Oh, were you saying something? I'm sorry. I suck. I'm so rude. I'm so rude. I do the same thing on the phone, man. Whenever I get off the phone with somebody, especially if it's my work phone, I hang up immediately and I cut people off like 60% of the time. I'm awful. I'm real bad at it, but I blame my dad because he does that. Does anybody else want to come in here? Otherwise, it's exactly 730 so we can shut her down, but I'm not opposed to continuing on. The ladies went to a car show, so I am uh, hanging out without pressure of time today. But I'm happy to shut her down if we're done for the day. Oh, we're big car show people. Cat was a mechanic. Uh, old, like old school cars specifically. Classics specifically. So I, I just got pictures of her and Zaya all dolled up. Looking gorgeous. Outside of some classics. It's real cute. Zaya's getting into it too. Let me see, sort of, your voice sounded fine. Fires in Canada are crazy though. It's crazy stuff, man. All right, well, I'm gonna follow through and see if I have any other last minute heated stuff here. Yeah, pray for New York, seriously, we will. And then Karina actually dropped a request in the YouTube chat too. Fires in Canada again? Yeah, you got to Google it. Google uh, air quality in New York. You see some videos and pictures that are alarming. Yeah, it's crazy. It's gotten wild. All right, Lilith. Yeah, Lil I mean, Lilith is interesting. Man, I'll let you guys know when I put this together. It's not going to be very long. But Lilith, Lilith's whole story is is super interesting. And then when you get into the demonology aspect of it, it gets way more interesting as the infant killer. She's crazy. Crazy, crazy. 
All right, well, I'll hang out for like a minute. And if nobody else wants to come in, then we'll just pray and uh, call it a night. Get all the requests together. Six one, what's today? The eighth. Okay. Brian, what 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 what? What did I just miss? Brian Gadawa's books heavy. I don't think I'm familiar. Oh, wisdom teeth. That's a good time. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. Yep, I got it on a list. I put it on my list. And I've got credits to burn. I'm excited for that. That should be good. If any of you are interested in the, the spiritual side of Christianity specifically to make it easier for people who are newer to the outside of Christianity stuff. But if you're into the spiritual side of Christianity and you want kind of a beginner introduction to Enoch, I can get you guys a link to the collection because there's, there's three different versions, but in keeping in mind that Enoch is quoted in your Bible, Google it. If you don't believe me, Google, is he not quoted in the New Testament and in the Bible in general? And you'll find several different examples of where verses from the book of Enoch were directly quoted within the Bible. Meaning that it's inspired? No. But meaning that it's important? Yes. Meaning it adds extra context? Absolutely yes. So if you're into the demon thing, the Nephilim, the giants, the, the demons coming down and having relations with women, the whole crazy spiritual side, because again, that is in the Bible too. The Nephilim are in the Bible. The sons of man and the daughters of the sons of God and the daughters of man concept is in the Bible. It's just not talked about much. It's just like dropped in your lap and then they walk away. The rest of the context is believed to be the rest of the context can be found within Enoch and other literature. But Enoch is the most accepted outside of Canon version of that. So if you guys want that, let me know. I don't know if you can get it on audiobook. I don't think you can, but you might be able to, but the watchers it's real, real good. It's good stuff, man. All right. I don't see anything else. So we're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll call it a night, a slow night, slow, nice, slow night. Where's my stuff at here? All right, uh, doo -doo -doo. Karina dropped one here on YouTube as well. There it is. All right. God, thank you for allowing us to do this at all in any way. This is truly amazing if you actually sit down and think about it, the way that we're able to connect regardless of where we are or who we're with or what city we're in or how we're feeling. We have this wild thing called the internet that allows us to all be together and build some kind of community like this. I always find that just crazy, crazy. It blows my mind. So I, I appreciate and I respect the fact that we're able to do that. It's not something that I take for granted in any way whatsoever. Tonight, we want to pray for everybody who's in really the entire Eastern seaboard, but specifically up North people who are suffering with poor air quality. 
specifically people who have any sort of respiratory issues because that's very, very hard. And I'm sure they're struggling phenomenally just to live normal day to day life. So we, we pray that they are able to get through this, that the air clears up and that whatever's going on in Canada firewise can be shut down. That's real, real bad. These, these fires seem to be getting worse, regardless of where in the world you look at them, they seem to be getting more intense and causing more damage. So we pray for everybody who's being afflicted by that, that they get clarity there and that they are able to make it through however long this period of the fires lasts. Tough stuff, tough stuff. We also want to pray for Karina, who's asking that we pray due to verbal abuse from her mother, which is making their their home life very difficult. Karina is the most kind-hearted, lovely, just sweet person ever. So to hear she is being verbally and emotionally abused makes me angry. So please also calm me down, but be there for Karina. Whatever's going on with mom, if we could chill her out and have her show a little bit of respect to her daughter, who is such a lovely, phenomenal person to be around, that would be fantastic. So keep Karina in our prayers as well, as well as her uh, her kiddo. We haven't heard about her kiddo in a while, so we pray that she's okay. All of her health stuff is still good and that they get through whatever's going on in their house right now without too much issue. The only other prayer we have tonight is for Ezra the beautiful baby boy that comes on Sunday night before the Bible study. His athlete's foot is getting bad, and the bottom of his toes are completely raw. Oh, man, poor baby. He was wearing socks, and the fabric was sticking to the sores on his toes. They had to scrub them and clean his feet to put on his medicine. Poor baby. I've never seen them this bad, and he is in a lot of pain. My heart hurts so much for him, and he doesn't have another doctor's appointment for another month. So, God, we pray for Ezra. Ezra's a beautiful little baby boy, and someday he is going to be a uh, fundamental part of this phenomenal Christian movement that we are trying to get rolling here. God, we want to pray for culture in general. Culture is broken. Culture is lost. Culture is more confused than, in my opinion, ever in history. So we pray We pray for clarity more than anything else. We also pray for, pray for relationship. It is the responsibility of people who have their spiritual lives on track to be there and be involved in the lives of people who do not. It is not just a, I get right with God, I get right with spirituality, and then I go on and live my life. That's not biblical. It's also not spiritual. Spirituality is connected to you, and every person on this planet is made in your image. So the idea is that we all get right with you, and then we are able to carry that message on and carry that spiritual connection on to people who don't have the luxury of that at this time. So I, pr I pray for anybody who's who's has their feet in Christianity, who's who's dipped their toes in, who's you know what you might call lukewarm. We pray for those people to get the kick in the butt or the crossing of the line or whatever that looks like for them specifically and individually that will take them from that lukewarm status and position into something that is more fulfilled, something that is more full and something that is more truly connected to you and not so much focused on just ideas and concepts and thoughts and, and what's in the Bible. We want people to have a spiritual awakening. I also pray for everybody in this group, just in general. We, we, we have a lot going on within the group with a lot of people individually. So we pray for whatever is happening with everybody here, anybody who's suffering afflictions, anybody who feels like they're dealing with something that they cannot handle. I pray that you make it clear to them that they absolutely can handle it and that they have people around them at the very least within this small group of people here that they can reach out to, that cares about them, that loves them, and that is here 
for them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you shoot Scott Turner? Shoot you the link to what, Scott? I'm confused. To the Discord? I can definitely do that, if that's what it is. Oh, you mean to the Enoch book. I got you. Yeah, hang out for a minute, and I will get that to you. Baby Ezra. Teal, I didn't know you were here. Oh, you want the links too? All right, I'll get you guys the links. I'll put it, give me two seconds. I'll put the link in the YouTube chat and I'll put the link in the Discord chat. I got you, I got you, hold on. All right. There it is. This is the best one in my opinion. Oh, it is on Audible. Why don't I see the book version then? It's definitely not only on Audible because I have the book. So you may have to find it somewhere else. But I know I have it on Kindle too. And this is definitely the exact one. Oh, there it is. So, so you can get it on Kindle or Audible only, I guess, from Amazon. But I'll drop you all the link right now. That's it. It is the Book of Enoch, the Angels, the Watchers, and the Nephilim with extensive commentary. Now, keep in mind, as always, a commentary is not a Bible. A commentary is not inspired by God. A commentary is if I read a book and then I write notes next to it about what I believe it means, what I believe the author is trying to say, what my interpretation as Joe is, okay? It's opinions. So keep that in mind. So you're going to get the book of Enoch, the books of Enoch specifically, plural, because there's, there's several volumes, but you are also getting somebody's opinion on them. I like his opinion. I think he did a really, really, really good job. That's the only reason I recommend it. Anybody who knows me knows that I do not recommend commentaries often. Usually I refuse to do it because I don't like it. But he did a phenomenal job, in my opinion. But again, remember, too, that is my opinion. You don't have to agree with my opinion. It's mine. You can't have it. But read it. Check it out. You'll at least get the books for what they actually are. And just keep in mind when you're reading the commentary on it, the comments on it, his interpretation that's not Enoch. Enoch is Enoch. So just be able to separate those things in your head while you read them. Don't just adopt this dude's interpretation because it sounds good. Don't do that. Bad, 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 bad. Take it for what it is and then think about how you feel about it. What do you think? Do you agree with him or do you not agree with him? I don't agree with him on everything, but I agree with him on a lot. I think he did a really, really good job. Sarah's got to wait till next month. All out of credits. Out of credits. You're welcome, Scott. It's good to see you, man. All right. TikTok. Goodbye. Okay. The annual. What? You get a credit a year? Oh, you get 12 up front? Oh, I don't like that. I don't have good enough self-control for that. Because I would, I would do what you did. And I would just buy a bunch of books. I need the month to think about it because I have such a hard time choosing because I like listening to stuff so much. 
Why did they remove Enoch from the Bible? Till you get here when we're ending it, and then you ask a savage question that we could have a five-hour conversation on. It sounds just like you. I should expect nothing different. Uh, short answer, in my opinion, not a fact, not law, my opinion, is that it's because it talks about spirituality. I don't think you were here, Teal, when we, we mentioned or when we looked at Lilith. So, Teal, I'll read it for you again before I hop off here. This is from Isaiah 34, 14. 99% of Bibles you will read from, the verse says this. It says, desert creatures will meet with hyenas, and wild goats will bleat to each other. There the night creatures will also lie down and find for themselves places to rest. However, in some of the older manuscripts, it says this. Wild cats shall meet with hyenas, goat demons shall call to each other, there too Lilith, who is a demon, shall repose and find a place to rest. What was removed? Two references to demons, one specified by name, and the other just a reference calling the goats demons. That is just a very small representation of demonic things, angelic things, spiritual realm things being removed from the Bible. So my personal opinion is that Enoch was removed from the Bible because Enoch is all about demons, angels, the Nephilim. It's all about the non-physical world, spiritual things. That's my, that's my view. That's why I think Enoch was taken out. And it's also why I think a lot of other apocryphal texts were taken out. There's tons of mentions of demons. There's tons of mentions of angels. They're highly spiritual. They're very, very spiritual. In the Bible we have today, it seems as if they either completely removed the book, completely removed the verse, or changed the verse like the one I just read, where they take the word demon out, and then they take the name of Lilith out, and call them, call them night creatures, which could be interpreted as anything. Most people, without knowing, will interpret that as an animal, a nocturnal animal. It's misleading. It's, it's not right, in my opinion. Yo, I'm sad I couldn't be here. I was busy working all day and now lost my voice. Not okay. Not forgiven. I feel, Mystic, I feel like I haven't heard you speak in weeks. Am I delusional? I feel like it's been a while. <laughs> I'm always canceled. I live in perpetual cancellation. That's okay. I'm used to it. I was canceled by Christian culture, so that's all right. I'm very comfortable with this concept. But not from you. I don't want to be canceled from you. I hope you're feeling better. Catholic, uh, Scott on YouTube asked if Catholics use Enoch, and the answer is some, some not. So Enoch, depending on who you talk to, is a part of the apocryphal text, but there are a lot of Catholics who don't consider it a part of the apocryphal text. 
But I'd say most most educated Catholics, they would use Enoch. Yes, for sure. Yeah, of course, too. Of course. But that's that's my opinion on, on why that is. Anything spiritual has just been either watered down or taken out, which is sad. Do you know what version Bible your dad has, Scott? Do you know what the the actual name of it is? I think my Catholic Bible has it too. Yeah, Maccabees is in there. Thomas is in there. There should be... God, what is it? Um, I can't remember. There should be... Yeah, you've got like one Estras, two Estras, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, the Letters of Jeremiah, Prayer of Manasseh. It's blue, I think. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Tamra, I hope I'm saying your name right. I apologize. How much of what was removed from the Bible could be based on incorrect translation between languages? I think a decent amount, but if you look at where things were removed, it doesn't quite make sense to be just a translation issue. It seems like content was removed for a specific reason from, from, and especially if you look at the differences in languages, if you go back to the Old Testament where you go from Hebrew, and in some cases then to Greek, then to Latin, then to English, or you go New Testament and you go Greek to Latin or or Greek and Aramaic to Latin to English, you have things removed from the Bible of the same content from the Hebrew, from the Torah, and from the New Testament, which is from the Greek. So to blame the removal of spiritual concepts like angels and demons and things like that on a language issue doesn't quite add up. However, I do think there are other things not pertaining to what we're talking about tonight that were removed due to issues in translation, due to incorrect translation. Plus, you have all of this evidence throughout history that even some of the old manuscripts, you'll have the scribes who changed a word, and one of them, for an example, was manifestation, manifesting, which get out of your mind of the New Age stuff, because it was a word back then that wasn't used the way we use it today. But there was a scribe in some of the early uh, transcriptions where um, he had removed the word manifestation or manifest, and he had used the different word. And then the next scribe who got that copy wrote in the notes in the margin, he actually called him an idiot. He called him a fool and said, don't change the text, you fool. And then he continued on. So like there, there definitely are examples where you just have to think these guys literally wrote it by hand. So there were mistakes that were unintentional, of course, but there were also intentional changings of words, some malicious, seemingly, and some possibly not, some not malicious. Maybe the scribe truly thought the better term for it going from Latin or Greek to English is this. I'm sorry, not from the, from Aramaic or Greek into Latin. Maybe they thought it was a better word. It was a better interpretation. Who knows? Is this taking a long time to get here? The way of the savage. I forgot about that. Jude 114 on Enoch also. The seventh 
from Adam prophesied of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh. Yeah, we talked about Jude before you got here. So if you Google references to Enoch in the canon, you'll be able to find the, the few times within the Bible where somebody actually quoted the book of Enoch. So whether you take it as inspired or not, it's important. Because if they thought it was important, people who are much closer to when Christ was actually there, if they thought it was important, why would we not? Even if it's not inspired, why would we not find it important or of some kind of value, right? What's a cult without some medical gaslighting? What? I must have missed something. I obviously missed something. All right, guys, I am going to head off. So I love you all. Have a beautiful evening. And I will see you Sunday for Bible study. What are we on? Acts 24? Let's see. Sunday night, 6 p.m. Central Time. We will be doing Acts 25. Ooh, isn't it? 25 and 26? Does it go to 26? Or is it 28, 29? We'll have to see. But we're 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 getting real close to the end of Acts. So after we finish Acts, we will be in 2 Corinthians. And then after that, I believe we'll run a poll because of a group of you on Discord I talked to, every single person I was talking to in that conversation said they wanted to go through Enoch, which I think would be real cool. But we'll run a poll because at the end of the day, you guys decide. It goes to 28. Beautiful. So, so on Sunday, we'll have 25 and 26. Then the next week, we'll have 27 and 28. And then we'll pop into 2 Corinthians. And then after 2 Corinthians, we'll run a poll on Discord between maybe one of the pastoral epistles, one of the gospels, and Enoch. And you guys can pick. I think that would be, uh, that would be good. Scott says, for sure, I've always been interested in the lost books of the Bible. Thanks for the awesome discussion. Thank you, man. Yeah, well, if we do Enoch, then you should definitely try to come. Sunday night, same time as tonight, 6 p.m. Central Time, we do a Bible study. We do two chapters out of the Bible every Sunday night. So if we do Enoch, you would definitely be into that because it'll be uh, very in-depth. Peace out. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. I love you. I'm going to shut it down. Everybody have a great night. I'll see you Sunday and I'll talk to you guys.